How you doing? Everybody all right? Okay. You know, I, I believe that with all my heart that we are created to shine in this world. That God has us here for a reason, that we're here for a purpose. That God wants to do things in our life that are amazing things. That he wants to, he's got a plan and a purpose for you. You weren't just created to take up space. God has you here for a reason. He wants to do something in your life. We're in part three of our series, The Rhythm of Life. And today, I want to talk about the rhythm of productivity. And see, that's really the goal of living life with a margin, is that we want to be more effective. We want to have less stress and less pressure. So if you would, take out your message notes. You'll find them there in your program. You can kind of follow along with me as we jump into this today. You know, over all the years that I've been a pastor, I've had the opportunity to teach on leadership in a lot of different settings. And one of the things that I've noticed is that there really is this universal desire in the hearts of people to be productive. Most people really want their lives to count. We want our lives to make a difference. We want to be useful. We, we, we want to matter. We don't want to waste our lives. We want our lives to be productive. Now, the Bible has a word for this, the idea of, of using what God has given us, and it's called stewardship. Productivity is all about making use of what God has given us. Now, this is true not just for people. It's true for businesses and churches and organizations and even nations. For example, in our country, the United States of America, we have only 10% of the population of the world. We have only 7% of the land mass of the world, yet we produce 40% of the goods that go out in the world. Guys, that's productivity. Now, over the past 40 years, maybe hundreds and hundreds and thousands of books have been published about how to increase your personal productivity, how to make your life count, how to be able to do more with less, and all those kinds of ideas. And it tells you how to do this. How do I do that? We, we've become obsessed with the idea of productivity. How do I get more done? But truthfully, is it about getting more done or is it about doing the right thing? That's what we've got to ask ourselves. There's seminars, there's classes, there's courses you can take that will teach you how to be more productive. But you might be surprised to know that the Bible, yeah, the Bible has more to say about productivity than any other book. Now you need to know the Bible doesn't necessarily use the word productivity as such. It's in there, but it actually uses a different word. It uses an organic word, a biblical word. And the biblical way of, of talking about productivity is the word fruitfulness. Fruitfulness, bearing fruit. That's the biblical way of talking about having a productive life. The Bible is very clear that God wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to be productive. He wants you to take this gift that he has put inside of you and do something with it. He wants us to not just come in and have worship on Sunday as normal and then go out and live our lives. He wants it to impact us in such a way that we take it out into the world and we impact the world with the gifts and the talents and the message that he's put inside of us. This is paramount to Christianity. It's paramount to what we believe. It is so important. The Bible wants us to be fruitful. God has made you to be fruitful. He expects you to be fruitful. He, he expects you to live a productive life. Fruitfulness was one of the major themes in Jesus' life. In fact, at the very end of his life, right before Jesus goes to the cross, the very last thing that he kind of talks about, and last words are so important, but he, did, he did, gives an entire chapter, John 15, to the subject of being fruitful, being productive. We're going to look at a lot of passages from that today. 
Uh, we're going to talk about how to be productive in your life, in your ministry, in your family, in your career, wherever. Now, let me just start by asking you this. What do you want to do with your life? Big question, right? What do you want to do with your life? What do you really want to accomplish with your life? Because if you don't know, there's no use in talking about productivity. I have to say that at the end of my life, more than anything else, I want to be able to say I led a productive and a fruitful life, one that was full of purpose. I want to be able to stand before God and say like the Apostle Paul, my life has been poured out like a drink offering. God, everything you've put inside of me, everything you've put inside of me, I've, I've accomplished. I want to be able to say like Jesus, it is finished. Man, I did it. I completed the course. I ran the race. That's really what I want to be able to do with my life. So the question then is, how does God measure productivity? In other words, what does God consider to be real fruit? Now, the word fruit in the New Testament is a Greek word, karpos. It's used 66 times in the New Testament alone. That's a lot. Fruit is a big theme in the Bible. And in John 15, Jesus makes a very important statement. He says this, this is to my Father's glory. In other words, this is how you bring glory to God. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Everybody say much fruit. That you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. This is an incredibly important verse for us because it teaches us three things about productivity and fruit. First of all, it teaches us that bearing fruit brings glory to God. That's the first one in your message notes. Write that down. Bearing fruit brings glory to God. The Bible says that the goal of our lives is to glorify God. So how do we do that? Well, by learning to be fruitful and productive and, and, and because that brings honor and glory to our Heavenly Father. Second thing, write this down. Bearing fruit shows that I'm a disciple. The Bible says that the proof that I really know the Lord, he says, by this you will know that you are my disciples. If I don't have any fruit in my life, how can I claim to be a disciple? He said, here it is. Fruit is the proof that you're a disciple. Number three, write this down. God wants me to bear much fruit. God wants me to bear much fruit. God's not just satisfied with a little bit of fruit in your life. He expects you to be productive, hyper-productive, abundantly productive. God is the God of abundance. When God pours into you, he didn't just pour in a little bit. For example, when he, when he loves you and he pours his love into you, he doesn't give you just a little bit of love. He gives you so much love that it just pours out of you and it affects and impacts everybody around you. God is the God of abundance. When he gives you grace, he doesn't give you just a little bit of grace because, guys, if you're like me, you need a lot of grace right? We do. So God pours out an abundant grace. He pours out an abundant mercy. His mercies are new every morning. God is a God of abundance, and he wants us to bear abundant amounts of fruit. Now, I want you to notice this. In John 15, 16, there in your outline, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you to do what? to bear much fruit, fruit that will, that will last. Now again, another extremely important verse. And I want you to see a couple of things. Here's the first part. Bearing fruit is the purpose of my salvation. 
Bearing fruit is the purpose of my salvation. Jesus said, I chose you to bear much fruit. I didn't just save you so you could go to heaven. I didn't just save you so you could sit, soak, and sour, right? I saved you to serve, to bear fruit, so that you could live a productive life, so that your life could have real meaning, make an everlasting difference. You were created to make a difference. God has made an investment in your life through salvation. What kind of investment? Jesus gave his life for you. He died on the cross for you. He created you. He saved you. He put his spirit inside of you. He made an investment in your life. And see, one day, he's going to call an audit of your life and of mine, and he's going to say, what did you do with all of this that I invested in you? What did you do with it? What did you do with your life? I came and I died for you on the cross. Did you live a fruitful life? Did you live a productive life? That's what the parable of the talents in the Bible is all about. Bearing fruit is the purpose of your salvation. Here's the second truth from that verse, and that is a truly productive life is one where the fruit lasts. There's a big difference between a fruit that blossoms and then immediately rots and vanishes and fruit that lasts a long time. I believe in all my heart that we are called to this value of consistency in our lives over the long haul. I mean, how many times have you seen people who are flash-in-the-pan successes? They just come up there immediately all over the place. They're overnight successes. Things start out great for them. They skyrocket. They become well-known. They have a really quick impact. But then they fizzle out, and you wonder, where are they today? What happened to them? Guys, I'm not interested in that. I, don't want to, I want to be a person who remains faithful day in and day out, doing what God has called me to do consistently, growing, developing, man, just becoming more like Christ until I stand before God and one day he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've finished the race. You've run the course. You've done what I put you here to do. And I'm longing to hear those words one day, but I'm not going to hear them until I've done it. I want to do it. I want to be, I want that to be a part of my life. See, the Bible says that real life and real fruitfulness and real productivity will not be judged on how much you accomplish in your life or how big of an impact you made, but it has to do with fruit, the fruit of your life. Did it last? Did the fruit last? And the whole reason I wanted to do this margin series with you is because you cannot be productive over the long haul without margin in your life where you slow down the pace of your life. See, our best requires rest. It does. It's so important that God puts it in the Ten Commandments. He says, remember the Sabbath. Every six days, man, on the seventh day, you have a time of rest. You take a time off. Because if you don't have any margin in your life, you're not going to make it to the finish line. This is so important. They put it right there with do not kill, do not steal. <laughs> don't commit adultery. And by the way, take a day off. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment of God. It's a real thing. He says you can't keep going and going and going without some rest in your life. Guys, and I wouldn't have made it all these years at Coast if I hadn't set some margin in my life. Now, I need to explain as we get started that there are at least four kinds of fruit that the Bible talks about in the New Testament. For example, there's the fruit of repentance. 
Sometimes when the Bible uses the word fruit, it's literally talking about us turning away from our own self-centered lifestyles and putting our focus on God. John the Baptist was talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, about bearing fruit of repentance. And he basically says, you guys aren't showing any fruit. You don't have a change of heart. I don't see a change in your life. I don't see repentance. Repentance is turning away that that we were moving in this direction and God touches our heart and we're going to move towards him. We're going to take the focus off self and put it on him. That's the first kind of fruit the Bible talks about. The second is the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible talks about this fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And it talks about nine character qualities there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. That's the fruit of character. Sometimes when the Bible is talking about fruit, it's talking about the character of our lives. What is the character of your life? God wants you to grow, and he wants you to become more like Jesus. That's his goal. Third fruit, the fruit of bringing someone to Jesus. A third way that fruit is used in the Bible is the fruit of another Christian. In other words, when you bring somebody to the Lord, when you help somebody to become born again, when you share your faith with someone, the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. God wants you to bear fruit. God wants you to reproduce. He wants you to tell other people about him. See, somebody told you. You are the fruit of someone else who told you about Christ and and that. Here's the problem. The average churchgoer, over the course of their their time in church, the average churchgoer will hear over 4,000 sermons, sing 20,000 songs, and never lead one person to Jesus. That doesn't break your heart. Man, there's something wrong. We've got to be better. We've got to do more. Man, God has put us on this planet to bear fruit. I just want to challenge you. Take and, 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 and write down sometime today the names of five people. Five people that you know that don't know Christ. And say, I'm going to take those five people. I'm going to make them priority in my life. I'm going to begin to pray for them. I'm going to begin to look for opportunities to share my faith with them. Five people, because I believe that God wants to change and turn around that, the idea of bearing that kind of fruit, bringing people to Jesus. Here's the fourth way. You guys with me? You guys all right? All right. Here's the fourth one, uh, and that is the fruit of ministry to others. And what that means is, you know, being involved in serving God with the gifts that he's placed inside of you, using your gifts and talents. And we talk about this in the third class of our growth track, uh, which is so important because we believe that design reveals destiny. If you want to figure out what you're supposed to do with your life, look at how you're designed, look at how you're put together. And we talk about that in this class, and our growth track starts again today. Three classes, they're about a, a little over an hour long, but they really will help you begin to look at your life and, and, and know God and find freedom and discover purpose so that you can make a difference. So that's going to be happening today. You can sign up for that in the foyer. Now, now 
Jesus took this idea of bearing fruit very, very seriously. One time he was walking in the city of Jerusalem, and the Bible says that while he was on his way there, he saw a tree, and it was a fruit tree that had not borne any fruit. And it had leaves on it, but it didn't have any fruit. Now, the purpose of a fruit tree is to what? Bear fruit, right? It makes sense. Not just to have leaves. So Jesus looks at this fruit tree with no fruit on it, and the Bible says that he does something very serious. He cursed the tree. He spoke death over the tree, all right? Now, that seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? He cursed it. And it shocks the disciples when they see him do it. Later on, when they're walking out of town, they come back by the same tree, and it withered and died. Now, Jesus didn't do that out of anger. Jesus didn't do that to show off. No, he did it to teach his disciples a very serious thing, the idea of, of what happens when you don't bear fruit. Guys, a non-fruit-bearing, non-productive follower of Jesus Christ is a contradiction. God says fruit gives him glory. Being productive is his plan. It's the proof of our salvation. It's proof of our discipleship. It's proof that we know the Lord. See, what we're talking about here is not some peripheral issue in this idea of margin. It's actually the heartbeat of your relationship to Christ. There's a story in the book of Luke where Jesus is talking about the importance of fruit. And in Luke 13, he says, I've been coming to look for fruit on this tree, but I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? In other words, why should it take up space? Now, in that parable, Jesus is specifically talking about the fruitfulness of Israel, the nation of Israel, and how he'd been walking around this country for a number of years, and he hadn't seen any real fruit. But the principle is this. If something doesn't bear fruit, Jesus says it deserves to be cut down. And he makes this point over and over and over again, many, many times in a lot of different scriptures. You can see it in John 15, 2. You can see it in Matthew 3.10. Matter of fact, let's look at Matthew 3.10. Jesus says this, Every fruit tree that doesn't bear fruit will be cut down. Cut down. What we're talking about here is very, very important. You've probably heard people say this. It's, it's, it's a Christian cliche. People will say, well, God doesn't, God doesn't expect us to be uh, you know, um, successful. He just wants us to be faithful. Have you ever heard anybody say that? How many of you have heard people say that? God doesn't want us to be successful. He just wants us to be faithful. Well, that's half true. God, of course, wants us to be faithful, but God also expects us to be fruitful. So I'll just start by saying, what is your definition of success? Because God doesn't necessarily want you to be successful according to the world standards. So then how do we define success? Well, when we read the description, God, the Bible's description, the, the, the description of success in the Bible is very distinctive, is extremely clear. To God, success is fruitfulness. Success is productivity. All those things that we talked about, repentance, character, bringing other people to Christ, to serving by, by serving God, by serving others and, and doing ministry. Jesus said, look, having a lot of leaves isn't enough. Looking good and having the right image, it's not enough. So I'm going to spend the last little bit of our time together talking about the four secrets, the keys of a productive life. I'm going to talk about fruitfulness, all right? Here's the first one. Uh, if I want to bear fruit, I must cultivate deep roots. That's the starting point 
of a fruitful life. You have no fruit without the root. It's just not possible. Listen to this, Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree. This is the metaphor. He'll be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat's on. Do you start to get afraid when the heat is on in your life? It doesn't fear when the heat's on. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. It never fails to bear fruit. I want you to notice what he's saying here. He's saying that roots are the keys to the fruits. Roots are the key, that we need roots to make it through the tough time. And in that verse, did you notice there's two kinds of tough times that he mentions that you're going to go through, all right? And you're going to struggle in those tough times unless you have deep roots. And first of all, he says, we have to have roots. Notice this, during the times when the heat is on. He says, when the heat's on, you've got to have those roots to be able to pull up the water from the ground. What is the heat in your life? It's the pressures. Man, it's the stresses. It's when life is coming at you very, very fast. Anybody here feel like life is coming at you very fast? Man, it's just the way it is. And so we look at our lives and we go, I can't handle this on my own. You have to have deep spiritual roots in those moments or you're going to panic. You're going to freak out. One of my bucket list items that I want to do, and Vicki and I have talked about this many times, and we're going to do it at some point in our life. I want to fly to like San Diego and get a rental car and just work my way up the coast, end up in Seattle, and just see some of that Pacific Coast Highway. I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I'd like to do it all the way up to Seattle. But the big part, the, the kind of the bucket list part of that is I want to go into the Redwood Valley. I want to see those giant sequoia trees. You know what I'm talking about? Just an amazing, amazing thing, right? And the sequoia trees are incredible. They're these big, giant, strong trees, and you can't knock them down. But here's something very interesting. The sequoia trees, their roots, they're, they're not particularly deep. They're moderately deep. But you know what happens? The redwoods always grow in groves. They grow together. And so while their roots just go moderately deep, they also go out and they start to crisscross each other. And the trees in a grove of redwoods form a pattern of support and a network that helps each other during times of adversity. See, that's why you need a small group. That's why you need a church family. And if you're not a part of a church family, get involved here. Make some friends. Get to know some people. Let your roots go out and get intertwined in the lives of other people. It will give you strength for tough times. There's another tree that you see around in our area a lot, and they're, they're banana trees. Anybody have a banana tree? You can't kill them. <laughs> you just about, they are indestructible, man. You can, you can burn them down, you can chop them down, and they will grow right back. The only way to actually get rid of a banana tree is you've got to completely dig it up and get the roots. You've got to get all of it. All right? Now, the Bible says this in Proverbs 12, 3. The righteousness, the righteous, us, those who are in right standing with God, believers, the righteous cannot be uprooted. Can you be uprooted in your life? What does it take to knock you off kilter? See, the starting point in life, if you want to be fruitful and if you want to be productive, is to have strong roots. 
And then notice it says, if you, if you, you, it says you need deep roots in times of drought, right? Now, you know what a drought is. It's long times without rain. We've experienced that sometimes here. And your grass starts to crunch and everything feels like dust is everywhere. And it starts getting bad. Man, droughts are tough times. Now, a drought in your life is when you don't have what you need for a particular moment. Some of you, maybe you're going through a drought right now in your life. You don't have the money you need. You don't have the energy you need. You don't have the support, the relational support, the emotional support that you need right now. How do you handle the droughts in your life when you don't have the energy, the knowledge, the connections, or whatever else that you need? What do you do when you lose a job? What do you do when you lose your finances or you lose your strength? And how do you get by on limited resources in a drought? Well, you do it by having deep roots. Deep roots. What do you do in those tough seasons of, of, of drought? Do you wilt? Do you dry up? Do you blow away when the heat is on or the drought is on? See, if you don't have roots, you're going to get blown away. You know what they call a, 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 a plant without roots? They're tumbleweeds. You see them in the desert. They just blow from place to place and one thing to another. There, there's no rhyme or reason, just wherever the wind blows. They're just kind of blown away all over the place. They're aimless. They're tumbleweeds. And that's the way a lot of people are. They're going from job to job to life to life, to one circumstance to another, from church to church, and all these different things. They can't settle down. They're restless. Now, in the desert, not only are there tumbleweeds, but there's also this amazing plant. It's called the Segura cactus. They're beautiful. The Segura cactus can produce brutal, uh, brutal, beautiful fruit. That's a lot of difference between brutal and beautiful. (laughs) It'll produce beautiful fruit even in the hostile desert condition. It can go months and months and months without water. And the secret is, is its root system. Listen to this. A Segura cactus can put out roots almost 50 feet in diameter. I want you to notice the verse in Jeremiah. It says, when the year of drought comes. The year of drought. You know, you might be able to handle drought for a day. You might be able to handle drought for a week. Maybe you could, you know, if you're particularly strong, you might be able to get through it with a month. But a year of drought. And a year of drought. When those tough times come, you know, when those tough times come and you don't have any roots, you're going to struggle. So how do we do it? How do we grow deep roots? Well, I suggest you memorize maybe this verse, Psalm 1, uh, verses 2 and 3. Put it on a card and memorize it. It says this. It says, They find their joy in obeying the law of the Lord. And they study it day and night. I always like to say, any other time, you don't have to. It's just day and night. They are like trees that grow beside a stream. They bear fruit at the right time and whose leaves do not dry up and they succeed in everything they do. What a promise. They succeed in everything they do. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. What's the key to succeeding in everything you do? Meditating on the Word of God. Memorizing the Word of God. Filling your mind and your heart with the Word of God. Being consistently day in and day out in the Word of God. 
When you have a quiet time with God, you know what you're doing? And you're putting out your roots. You're growing them deep. You're finding strength to handle tough times. Check this out. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Since you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, live in union with Him. Keep your roots deep in Him. Build your lives on Him and become stronger in your faith as you were taught. Every time you read, study, memorize, or meditate on the Word of God, you're building roots in your life. That's the first key. All right, here's the second key. It's because that's not all there is to fruitfulness. The second one is, I must, and this is so important, I must eliminate the weeds in my life. If you're going to be fruitful, if you're going to be productive, not only do you have to deepen the roots, you've got to eliminate the weeds. And that's what margin is all about. And Jesus illustrated this so beautifully and so clearly in the parable of the sower and the seed. He said there was this farmer, this farmer who goes out to sow seed. And as he spreads the word, it says that it falls on four different kinds of soil, right? And these four different kinds of soil represents four different conditions of the human heart, all right? There's the hard heart, there's the impulsive heart, there's the crowded heart, and there's the good heart, which is the best response. And it's all in Luke 8. Matter of fact, that passage not only is in the book of Luke, it's also in Matthew, Mark, and John. It's in all four Gospels. That's how important this was. That's how important this idea is. The seed that it talks about in the story is the Word of God. And the seed falls on different kinds of soil. And one of the soils that it falls on is the soil with weeds in it. And it says the seed falls among the weeds. And that stands for those who hear the word of God. But when the seed starts to sprout, it says that the worries of this life, the cares of this life, man, the, the pleasures, the hobbies, you know, what the crowd thinks, that all those things come in and choke them and their fruit never ripens. So here's the, the takeaway you can't just plant a seed. You've got to take away a weed. You can't just plant a seed. You've got to remove the weed. Jesus is saying there's some things in your life that are choking out your productivity. What are those things? What are those things that are choking out the productivity in your life? Whatever they are in your life, those are weeds. And so you may need to go home this afternoon and just do an examination of your heart and say, God, where are the weeds in my life? What is it that I need to cut out of my life? That's what margin is all about. Making space to slow down our pace so that you can be more productive, more effective, more fruitful. To maintain your success, to maintain your productivity, your fruitfulness, to do it over the long haul, to make it to the finish line, you have to be continually weeding and continually learning. Notice it says, that the weeds crowded and they choked the plant. How many things do you have like that in your life right now? Things like that in your schedule, activities that just choke the life out of you, that take all of your energy away, and you don't have the energy to read the Word. You don't have the energy to be in a small group. You don't have, the, you don't have any time. You, you don't have any spare time. It's just all used up. You skip church services. You skip the stuff that, that builds you up and the stuff that's going to be producing and helping you to produce life inside of you. You pass all those things over because of the weeds. And if you have weeds in your life and you don't have any roots in your soil, you're going to dry up. You're going to blow away. Charles Garfield is a guy 
who wrote a book called Peak Performance. And he studied peak performers in all kinds of fields around the world. And he came up with a common list of, of characteristics. And he said one of the characteristics of peak performers, and, and it's, it's, whether it's an athlete, a CEO, uh, whatever it is, a singer, or, you know, musician, one of the athletes is a sense, I mean, one of the, the attributes, the characteristics is a sense of balance. He said peak performers are balanced in their personal life and their, their private life, their, 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 their public life. They're, they're balanced in their character and in their career. They're balanced in their hobbies and in their work. They have balance in their relationships. If you think about it, we see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus had great balance. There's a scripture, it's Luke 2.52. It's not in your notes, but you might want to write it down. It says this. It says, it's talking about Jesus, and it's talking about his growth. And it says, Jesus grew in wisdom, that's intellectual growth, and stature, that's physical growth, physical health. He grew in favor with God, that's spiritual growth, and he grew in favor with man, that's social growth. See, the balance comes from having spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional things together. And that comes by weeding out those weeds in our lives. You know, I want you to go home. I want you to think about it today. What are the weeds in my life that I need to get rid of? What are the things that are choking the life out of me? You got to ruthlessly cut them away. We'll talk more about that in this next point. Here's the third point. Third key factor for being effective and productive. Write this down. I must cooperate with God's pruning in my life. See, it's not just getting rid of the weeds, but we got to prune ourselves, all right? John 15, 1 and 2, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Uh, he lops off every branch that doesn't produce, and he prunes these branches that bear fruit for an even larger crop. What is pruning? Pruning is where you start cutting off the branches, you, and, 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 and actually, you're not just cutting off the dead branches, you're cutting off living branches and leaves and all that sort of stuff because you're trying to improve the shape and stimulate the growth of whatever you're pruning. Let me tell you something. In life, pruning is absolutely essential for increased productivity. No matter what it is that you do, you might be a teacher or a business owner, you might be an employee, you might be a CEO, but whatever it is, pruning is not optional. If you're going to be productive, you're going to have to go through pruning many times over and over and over and over again. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's shocking to watch a professional prune a tree because they are ruthless. When they come and they start pruning your tree, you're going to go, ah! <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Because they will cut not only the, the good stuff, they will start, I mean, the bad stuff, they'll start cutting the good stuff. I mean, they will cut it back. And when you look at it, man, you're thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing? They'll cut back blooms that haven't blossomed. They'll cut it all back. And I'll tell you that when most people, if you talk to a professional who prunes plants, they will tell you that the problem that most people have with pruning is they are too timid when they go to cutting back those things that need to be cut back. They're too timid. I know, I, I, I'm giving you some serious stuff to think about today. But what do you need to cut back in your life? When you're going through pruning, guys, it's never fun. When you're going through pruning, it's often confusing. 
And the key is to remember, man, that when you're going through that season, that God is going to produce greater fruitfulness in you. I've heard people say this. I've heard people say that you should talk to your plants. Any of you do that? Do any of you talk to your plants? A few of you here and there. They say that you should talk to your plants. I've never done that, but it, it kind of makes sense. You know, Vicky and I are not real good with plants. We tend to kill most plants that we have. You know, uh, right after we got married, Vicky killed the cactus. How do you kill a cactus? I don't know, but, but, we, but we do. You know, if you've got a plant that you need us to get rid of, let us come give it tender, loving care for just a little while, and it'll, it'll be gone. I, I'm telling you, I, I was talking about banana trees a minute ago. We had a banana tree in our backyard. I killed it. I didn't dig it up. I killed it. I don't know what happened. It's gone. It's not there. I mean, we're just, we're ruthless. I can't even, I can't even grow grass except through my driveway. I, there it grows well. So you say you should talk to your plants that it helps them, that it helps your plants along. I ever wonder, you know, what, what a gardener, someone who's doing pruning, I wonder what the gardener might say to the plant. They might say something like, you know, I know this hurts. It's going to be beautiful in the end. I know it's difficult right now, but we're headed towards something that's going to be wonderful. You're going to be more fruitful than ever. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to blossom like never before. It may hurt now, but you'll thank me later. Imagine the plant looking back at the gardener and saying, I thought you loved me. I thought you were a loving gardener. Why are you doing this? I think we do the same thing to God. God, we're, we're, I'm going through this time of pruning. Why are you doing this in my life? Don't you love me? Don't you care about me? I mean, why is, why is everything upended? Why does it seem like everything is changing? Are you angry with me? Listen, it's a huge mistake when we think of pruning as punishment. All right? In fact, write this down. Don't ever confuse punishment with pruning. They are two very different things. Pruning's for the future. Punishment's for the past. You know, pruning is positive. Punishment is negative. In fact, you know, God doesn't even punish us. He doesn't punish us because Jesus took our punishment on the cross. And there's a difference between punishment and discipline. God will discipline us because it helps us. It's a part of the pruning process. And pruning is discipline in our lives. All right? In fact, you should take it as a compliment when you go through a pruning because God is saying, I see potential in you. I see something inside of you, and I believe there's greater fruit ahead. I believe that just through a little bit of pruning, we can take you to a better place in your life where your life has more to offer, where you have more fruit, where you have more abundance, and it just, your life gets better. I know it hurts now, but we're doing something that's going to bring much fruit. Now, how does God prune? Well, he does it through a lot of different things, but usually he uses three categories, problems, pressures, and people. Can I tell you, there's no circumstance in your life that God can't use to develop you if you'll just have the right response to it? In fact, even the problems that we bring on ourselves, you know, those things that we do ourselves by our own stupidity or by our own sinfulness, by our own bad attitude or mistakes or ignorance, God can use that stuff too. Those crushing disappointments that you've had, the financial difficulty the unexpected illness, the job loss, the breakup of a marriage, a rebellious child, the death of a loved one. God can and will use all those things in our lives, even if we brought them on ourselves. Now, why does God prune us? Hebrews 12, 11. Look at this verse in your outline. 
It says, no discipline seems pleasant for the time. It's painful, right? It is. You know, pruning's difficult. But he says later on, not now, but later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. It's for our benefit. Notice the words, no discipline seems pleasant. I don't have to tell you that. You already know that. It's unpleasant. If you've ever looked at a tree that's been pruned, man, we had some bushes in our front yard that were pruned, and Vicky and I saw them after they were pruned, and we looked and we went, oh, my gosh. They're dead. They'll never come back. They came back even better than before. But they looked terrible. They looked awful. Man, they were unattractive. They were ugly. And it had to have been unpleasant for the plant, right? But the harvest at the end, the fruitfulness, is so worth it. So here's a question. Can God's pruning fail? Yeah, absolutely, it can. God's pruning in your life can fail if you don't cooperate with it. See, our tendency when God starts to prune us is to resist it. We want to rebel I mean, we want to question it. We want to doubt it. And we become incredibly impatient with the process. But God says, you know what? If you just respond in this moment by what I'm doing, no matter how confusing it is, no matter how difficult it seems, what you're going through, God says, if you'll just trust me, we're taking you somewhere new. We're doing someplace new. We're going to get more fruit out of your life. We're going to change your life in a powerful, positive way. Just trust me. If you trust me, you're going to see that increased fruitfulness. All right, here's the final one. I know I'm running just a few seconds late, but bear with me. All right, the fourth thing. I must patiently wait. I must patiently wait for and expect a harvest. Growing fruit takes time. And you don't put a seed in the ground and the next day, boom, you got a tree, right? You don't plant the seed today and go, man, I planted that seed at nine. It's four. I don't have any apples. What's going on? Right? You don't do that. It doesn't work that way. You plant a seed and then you pray. John 12, 24. Truly, truly, this is Jesus talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. Growing fruit Finding that place of productiveness, that place of fruitfulness in our life, it takes time. You have to go through the waiting process. And nothing is more uncomfortable. I'm telling you, there is almost anything I would rather do than have to wait. I'm not a good waiter. I want what I want, and I want it now. (laughs) And I would guess that you are exactly like me in that. And yet... That doesn't cooperate with God's process. We have to learn to wait. There's times, guys, where we're in a hurry and God's not. He's just not. You plant the seed and then you wait. And by the way, seeds have to be planted. You can't just leave them in the pack and, and hope you know, they're going to spring up somewhere. No, you put them in the ground. You cover them with dirt and then you wait and you pray and you expect. And just as the seed creates new life out of death, same thing happens for us, and we become more productive. There's got to be a dying to our old nature. There has to be a dying to our old desires. There has to be a place where we said, Lord, I'm dead to that old way of life. 
That's that fruit of repentance. I'm just, I'm dead to that. And I'm doing something different. And I'm trusting you in the process. Dying to your old ambitions during the waiting process. Are you hearing me? I believe that God is really speaking to you right now in this process. Growth takes time. And there's a dying process during the waiting period while you're waiting for the thing that you're dreaming of. While you're waiting for that productivity and that fruitfulness you want to see in your life. It takes time. Don't give up. Stay plugged in to Jesus. Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain, notice this, if you remain in me, if you stay connected to me, then you will bear much fruit. It's inevitable. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now the key word in this whole thing is remain. Don't give up. Stay in contact. Depend on him. Keep plugged in. Pray, wait, expect, and God will reward you at the proper time if you don't give up. Close with this thought. I heard the other day about a 600-year-old seed that was planted and actually sprouted. There was a group of scientists and anthropologists who were doing a dig in a set of Indian ruins, and they found an old necklace on an Indian corpse in an Indian grave, and it had seeds in it. And they were 600 years old, as best they could tell. And they took one of the seeds from the necklace, and they planted it, and it grew. Even though it had been dormant for 600 years, it still grew after being planted. Guys, I'm not really interested in how long your life's been dormant. Could have been weeks, could have been months, could have been years, could have been decades. It's time to be planted. It's time to bear much fruit. Give yourself fully to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life. I want to work on these four things. I want to develop some roots by spending every day with you. I want to weed out the weeds and eliminate the stuff that needs to be eliminated. God, I want to cooperate with the pruning. God, if if you need to prune some things out of my life, do it. Did you say do it? Yeah, some of you are a little timid about that. Say it again. Do it. Do it, Lord. Do it. Yeah. Maybe you just need to wait. Maybe you're in a time or a season of waiting, and you just need to be able to say, God, I trust you right now while I'm waiting. It's not happening as fast as I want it, but I trust you. You've got me. It's going to be okay. I know that you're inevitably going to bring a harvest. And so my trust is in you. Guys, I've given you a lot to think about this weekend, I know. (laughs) There's a lot there. I crammed a lot into that message. We went through it very, very fast. I pray that you'll take the notes and think about it, pray about it. Let God do some adjusting in your heart and in your life. Now let me just lead you in a prayer, if you would. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I I hope that some of the things that we've looked at today from your word will sink into our lives and will transform our lives. Lord, we want our lives to count. We want our lives to matter. We don't want to waste our lives. We want to make a difference with our lives. We don't want to live a shallow life. We want to be productive. We want to be fruitful. We want to hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Help us to take these four steps from your word to cultivate deep roots, 
Help us to read your word every day and to think about it and talk to you about it. And then say this to God. Say, God, give me the courage to eliminate the weeds, stuff that's choking out my relationship with you, stuff that's choking out my productivity. Help me to recognize what's a weed and what's not. And then say this, Lord, help me to cooperate with your pruning. You may be in that right now. Some of you right now, you're in that pruning season. I don't know if that's you, but there's, there's times. And there'll be times in your life where God will cut things back if you don't. God, I want to cooperate with whatever you want to cut out of my life. might be a wrong relationship. might be a wrong goal, a wrong value, a wrong dream. And just say this to the Lord. God, I am willing to wait patiently for the harvest of what you want to do. I expect a harvest by faith. Lord, help me to cooperate with the principles of spiritual gardening. Finally, maybe you're here and part of the reason that you're struggling with fruitfulness in your life is because you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never invited him to be the Lord of your life and to take control of your life. Maybe the fruit that God wants to bring into your life right now is that fruit of repentance where you say, God, I've been trying to do my own thing my way. And I want to stop and I want to yield to you. This is a Holy Spirit moment. God is speaking to your heart right now. If that's you, and you would say, Robert, would you pray for me? I need to say yes to God. I need to give him control of my life. Can I just see your hand wherever you are? I want to pray for you today. Thank you, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. As much as I know how, I'm going to turn from my way of doing things. And I'm going to put my trust in you follow your plan. Lead me. Guide me. Help me to serve you. Forgive me of my sins. Heal my brokenness. My trust is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you do me a favor? If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you just take one of those blue cards that are in your your seat back in front of you and just say, hey, Robert, I prayed that prayer with you. The blue cards are also a great way that you can get prayer requests to us. And if, it's, if you're new to Coast, man, if you'll take that blue card, fill it out, promise you nobody's coming to your house or anything like that. We're not going to sell your name to a mailing list. It just gives us a record of your visit. But if you'll take that blue card and take it to the desk, we've got a special gift we'd like to put in your hands today. So here's my prayer for you this morning as we close. Is that you would enter into a time of deep trust in God. That you would cooperate with the process of bringing fruitfulness and productivity into your life. And I declare that God is going to take us individually and as a church into a greater time of fruitfulness than we've ever seen before. 
I believe God's getting ready to take us into a greater time of productivity and life change and making a difference in our community than ever before. I believe there's something inside of us that's getting ready to rise up and saying, God, we trust you in this moment. I believe that God will be bringing new people in. I believe we'll be bringing new people in. I believe that we'll be sharing our faith like never before. And we'll see God doing great fruitfulness in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, let's a couple of quick things just before we go, and we'll let you go. I know we're running late. Next weekend, uh, the Rhythm of Life continues, and I'm going to be talking about running on empty. How many of you ever run on empty? Man. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. There's a short baptism class. It's going to happen right after the service. Uh, baptism is next week. It's going to be right after the service. We're going to leave and go beachside entrance to Fort Pickens. Uh, just before you get to Fort Pickens, right on the left, there's a series of uh, little parks, a little wayside park area. We're going to go and we're going to have baptism there. Got several that are being baptized. If you need to be baptized or if you want to just do your first works over again and say, God, I'm rededicating my life to you and I want to do it by saying, you know, God, here, then, then, then sign up for the baptism. There's going to be a short baptism class right immediately after the service. And when I say short, I mean really, really micro short. It's going to be short. Uh, but we're going to be doing that right after the service. You're welcome to stay and be a part of that as well. And, and if you're here uh, next week, come with us out and, and celebrate those who are being baptized. Let's come out and, and, and just with great joy, take a few minutes out of our Sunday to bless them. Finally, one last thing, our growth track starts today at 4 p.m. This is step one. You can sign up in the foyer for that. Let me pray one last prayer, a prayer blessing. Raise your hands. Father, thank you for every person that's here. I pray, Father, that you would uh, pour your spirit out upon them, that you would bless them, that you would help them, Lord, that you would give them wisdom in all that they do, that they would walk in wisdom according to your word, that your anointing would be upon them. Father, that, that you would give them favor wherever they go in the eyes of the people they come in contact with. And Father, I pray that you would give them divine opportunities that they could tell other people the story of what you've done in their life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.